perfectly satisfied person cannot be seduced. Tension and disharmony must be instilled in your target's minds. Stir within them feelings of discontent and unhappiness with their circumstances and with themselves. Their life lacks adventure. They have strayed from the ideals of their youth. They have become boring. The feelings of inadequacy that you create will give you space to insinuate yourself, to make them see you as the answer to their problems. Pain and anxiety are the proper precursors to pleasure. Learn to manufacture the need that you can fill. Welcome back to Femininity After Dark. I am your host, Keandria Bellus, and this week we will discuss how to stir anxiety and discontent. Why would we want to stir anxiety and discontent in our victims? When we first think about it, it might not make much sense. But consider this. It is extremely difficult to seduce someone who is completely happy and secure within themselves. So we've talked about this several times. You have to study your target. You have to study what they're missing in their life so that you can add that value to them. In order for them to see you as valuable and someone that they really want, desire, and need in their life, you have to meet some of their needs. Things that they aren't getting by themselves, you have to be able to provide that. So if it's a person whose life is a bit dull and boring, you can bring that excitement that they've secretly been longing for. And so you subtly remind them of what they've been missing this entire time and suddenly you become this object of desire for them and they begin to lean on you because now you've become this um, this addiction and this fulfillment, this escapism, right? So seduction is about fantasy. It's about escapism. It's about providing your person with things that they didn't have before they knew you. So for example... And I'm going to read this straight from the book because I love how Robert Greene gives his examples and how he explains things. So it says, Cleopatra got Julius Caesar to sleep with her the first night he met her, but the real seduction, the one that made him her slave, began later. In their ensuing conversations, she talked repeatedly of Alexander the Great, the hero from whom she was supposedly descended, no one could compare to him. By implication, notice it's implication, so you're not outright putting your partner or your person down, but it's implied. It's bruising their ego a little bit so that they um, they have time to reflect on who they are. They need to reflect on themselves and what they're missing in order to see you as more valuable and someone who can fulfill that need. But it says... No one could compare to him. By implication, Caesar was made to feel inferior. Understanding that beneath his bravado, Caesar was insecure, Cleopatra awakened in him an anxiety, a hunger to prove his greatness. So you also see 
uh, there that she's creating those triangles as well by constantly mentioning this other man who she admires. And this is, this is giving him something to live up to and to work toward. And now his goal is to impress her so that he may have a chance to possess her. So he has this hunger to prove his greatness. Once he felt this way, he was easily further seduced. Once they're not thinking clearly anymore and you've given them a focus, in this case, Caesar's focus is to prove how great he can be and how powerful he is to Cleopatra in order to win her over. She's subtly telling him what she looks for in a partner. And so he is wanting to be that for her because he knows that's what it's going to take to have her in his life. So there's so much to that. There's the triangles, there's the discontent that she's stirring up within him. And it's also uh, approaching indirectly Cleopatra was such a master of seduction. So she's also approaching him indirectly because remember, he said that it was insinuated. She didn't flat out say, uh, you could never compare to this person. She allowed uh, her suggestion to take an effect on his mind. And so now he feels like he's choosing this and he's the one who is seducing Cleopatra, but it's really Cleopatra who is in control the entire time. Doubts about his masculinity was his tender spot. When Caesar was assassinated, Cleopatra turned her sights on Mark Antony, one of Caesar's successors in the leadership of Rome. Antony loved pleasure and spectacle, and his tastes were crude. She appeared to him first on her royal barge, then wined and dined and banqueted him. Everything was geared to suggest to him the superiority of the Egyptian way of life over the Roman, at least when it came to pleasure. So you see how she's studied Mark Antony. She knows that he is um, a bit of a hedonist, hedonist, however you say that, and that he is a slave to pleasure. And so she becomes that pleasure to him, but she does it in a way that is elevated, that subtly reminds him that she is uh, in a way superior and that he has a lot to work toward if he wants to be in her presence. Uh, she makes him feel honored to be in front of her and to be in her company. The Romans were boring and unsophisticated by comparison. And once Antony was made to feel how much he was missing in spending his time with his dull soldiers and his matronly Roman wife, he could be made to see Cleopatra as the incarnation of all that was exciting. He became her slave. So Really, the key to this is studying your target so well and so completely that you know exactly what their uh, tender spots are, what they're missing, and you become that. And you do it on a grand scale, uh, while at the same time not making it look like you're trying so hard. So the biggest takeaway from this is that word insinuating. You don't want to be... Uh, direct. You don't want to be 
um, extremely rude to your person and bringing them down because that would be more along the lines of abuse <laughs> you you don't want to do that you don't want to be like oh you're horrible you're boring life with you sucks like you don't want to say those kinds of things but you do want to subtly show them i can add this to your life and it's it's reminding me of beyonce's song upgrade you so how she's saying she can upgrade this person's life she could give them everything that they've been missing but she doesn't like call them a bum ass bitch in the song or anything like that you know she's not being rude to them but she's just adding uh she's adding more to their life experience, which is what you want to do. I definitely feel like Beyonce would fit into the siren category, just like Cleopatra. On the siren episode, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen, and this will make even more sense. But on the siren episode, we saw that there were two types of sirens. There's the spectacular siren, which is Cleopatra and Beyonce, how they're all about the fantastical, the mythical, and they embody ancient gods, goddesses, and in Beyonce's case, the Orisha Oshun, how they embody these mythical characters and become something otherworldly. And this is what uh, this is what draws people into them because they aren't basic. They aren't uh, quote unquote normal. They're something extraordinary, right? So there's that type of siren. And then we have the other type of siren, which is Marilyn Monroe. Speaking of Marilyn Monroe, I had you guys vote in our group, Femininity After Dark. If you haven't joined yet, make sure you join our group. Such amazing people, so supportive, so kind. Everybody's been so encouraging to one another. Excellent group to be in. <laughs> so join our group, Femininity After Dark. But anyway, I had you guys vote on the exclusive content. If you don't know, if you don't follow me on Facebook, I posted a few days ago that I am now offering exclusive ad-free content for only $9.99 a month. And we will do in-depth studies of the greatest seducers of all time. And you guys chose Marilyn Monroe for our first person to study. So that episode will be coming soon. I will keep you all updated on that. To be the first one updated, make sure you join our group Femininity After Dark. Psychology tells us that we are always either running away from pain or running toward pleasure. So I want you to think of yourself as Cupid's arrow. What awakens desire in the seduced is not a soft touch or a pleasant sensation, it is a wound. The arrow creates a pain, an ache, a need for relief. Before desire, there must be pain. Aim the arrow at the victim's weakest spot, creating a wound that you can open and reopen. Now, that sounds really, really evil <laughs> and messed up, but again, we discussed the first season we started discussing the art of seduction. We said that seduction is a form of warfare, and it is not about morals. It's not about being a good person. 
you won't be able to effectively seduce someone if you're trying to be this um, moral, kind, really, really good person. Because the thing about it, if you aren't the one in control, if you aren't doing the seducing, that means that you are being seduced. So this could be happening to you. And if anything, even if you don't use all of these tactics, it's still really good to know that there are people out here who use this and you can further protect yourself and have one up on uh, the person trying to seduce you. So keep that in mind as well. This week's affirmation. I am living the life of my dreams and I add value to the lives of those around me. I am living the life of my dreams and I add value to the lives of those around me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Femininity After Dark. Thank you for all your comments and your love and your subscriptions. Don't forget that we also have exclusive ad-free content available for only $9.99 a month. And we will have in-depth studies on the greatest seducers of all time. So if you're ready to take your seduction game to the next level, that would be an amazing opportunity for you. Next week, we will talk more about insinuation and how to master it. Femininity After Dark has new episodes every Friday at 4 a.m. Central Standard Time. Until next episode, bye.